Elite Physique University, your source for all things physique enhancement. Welcome back to Elite Physique University. I'm John Gorman, your host. We're back with Dr. Pete Fitchin. Pete, this is part two of uh, our episode here on better ways to prep, the physiological changes during prep. Um, we've still got a lot to cover, man. What do you think of the first episode? Yeah, I mean, I think we covered a lot of things that we talked a lot about, like what people used to do back in the day and in the 80s, some of the studies from the 80s, 90s. Um, and honestly, I did a lot of those things myself, my first prep in 2004. So I guess I wasn't that far removed from it. Yeah. If you guys are just tuning in, go back and listen to the last episode. I believe it's episode 39. We really cover everything in detail and man, we're just going to pick right back up here. Uh, the last thing we talked about was, was training and the differences in training, maybe four times a week, body parts once a week versus multiple times a week, five to six days. Let's talk about cardio. Um, we all have a little different take on this. I know Jason and I are just a little bit different. He can't be on the show for those of you listening um, because he, he was uh, speaking at the PEC conference that he owns out in Colorado. But, you know, I'll kind of chime in a little bit from what him and I talk about on the show. When it comes to cardio, what's your approach to people who are trying to hold on to as much muscle as they can when they start a prep with you? Do you start off low cardio? Do you start people off on just a minimum or no cardio? Kind of what's your take? I think we got to look at what they're doing coming in. Um, usually, yeah, yeah my goal is to keep it as low as possible while still seeing progress, but um, just from a recovery standpoint. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think if someone comes in and they're doing no cardio and their food's pretty high and we can just create a deficit by pulling their food back a little bit. Um, yeah, we'll probably start with none. Um, you know, if someone's coming in doing a couple days a week, well, maybe we'll keep that couple days a week and pull their food back, you know? And, and so I think, I think that gets to another topic of probably why you should get your cardio down prior to starting a prep. But, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it depends on what they're doing, but in general, yeah, I try to get away as little as possible. Um, so that way we have room to work with during prep and so that that way they can also recover from workouts and, and keep training hard. Yeah. If it's a, if it's someone that comes to me and they're already doing cardio, I, I mean, you kind of have to work with what you're given, yeah. but if it's a client of mine, um, I like to back all their cardio off at least for like four weeks. So their body becomes unused to it in that way. I typically start people with some, but usually it's 15 minutes a day for just a handful of days a week. Um, I do like to throw one hit day in on their high carb day, just because it helps increase insulin sensitivity, it depletes a little bit. Um, do you start people with hit or no, or, or what do you do with that? So I, I guess I do things probably a little bit different than a lot of coaches. So I, I usually focus more on daily activity and step counts is like on my movement energy expenditure side of things. That's probably where I start. Um, I kind of look at like, what is your lifestyle? Um, you know, if you only get like 3000 steps a day, maybe we're adding in some lists just to get you up to like 5,000 and maybe it's lists. Maybe it's just you making a point of moving more throughout the day, whatever you want to classify it or call it. It's like, Hey, you're going to move a little bit more than you, you do currently. Um, and then, yeah, from there, maybe we have to bump those step counts up to get, add more lists. Maybe we got to add in some miss or hit, um, you know, it depends on the person and kind of where we're at and what they need. But um, yeah, my, my go-to at first is probably something that's lower intensity um, just simply so that they can recover in the gym and they're not getting beat to hell. Um, I did a prep back, back 2012 prep actually that, that we did the case study on. Um, I was doing cardio six days a week by the end of that with four hit sessions a week. 
and uh, two steady state, and I was doing legs twice a week. Um, and so I was either doing hit or legs uh, six days a week. Um, I would go into the gym by the end, just looking back, like I remember going in and like my legs felt dead before I even started lifting <laughs> legs. Like the quality of that workout, like the amount, I, I don't know that that, that, you know, when you're thinking about how can I most, how can I keep training intensity up as high as possible to, you know, hold as much muscle as possible that that's not it, you know, <laughs> like that wasn't it. Um, and so I think there's a limit to how much hit someone can tolerate. You know, I, I don't know about, you know, training legs twice a week while doing hit four other days is probably you know, pushing that for most people. It is for me. I, I know that from experience. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I start lower intensity at first if I can, but there's a limit, you know? And, and so I think, and it depends on the situation and the person too. You know, if someone comes to me and says, Hey, I'm doing, you know, I have an active job and I'm getting like 18,000 steps a day. Like we're not going to jack that up anymore. You're already moving a ton, you know, and, and we might have to add some cardio in the gym, but like for someone like that, I, I really hesitate to add even more cardio on top of the 18,000 steps a day because they're already moving so much. Um, you know, it, it depends on what their job is too, but you know, it's so it really, yeah, like, like I said, it depends on the person. I would say yeah. it was my, yeah. And there's, there's other things you can do with hit too as well. People, you know, these days battle ropes is pretty, yep. is pretty popular ball slams and stuff like that, but still all hard on your central nervous system, yeah. which, which, you know, leads to overreaching. Um, you know, with the step counts, you're kind of the first guy I ever heard of that really started measuring that. And another coach, a friend of mine as well, Ray Law out in Minnesota, really, really good coach. He likes to measure that stuff as well, um, at least with himself. I don't know if he's doing it with clients or not, but that's become popular because of you two guys. And I have everybody asking me if I can, if we are going to use step counts, I'm like, damn it. I don't ever do that. Like <laughs> here's your 20 minutes of cardio, go do it. 130 heart rate. Yeah, so. That's just a different way to get them moving more and expending right. energy. Right. And so um, but yeah, with the step counts, I do it for a few reasons. You know, one, the reason I started caring about it was because, um, I, I had a client a few years ago, uh, who she had prepped previously. So I knew that like, she knew how to diet for a show and that she could track macros and wasn't BSing me. Um, and she was dieting and her cut was going really well. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. And I made like, I made multiple rounds of adjustments like, you know, week after week after week. And we really weren't seeing much progress. And I was really pushing hard and really doing a lot of cardio. And so I started asking questions of like, what happened here? Like something obviously happened, like something's different. You know, we went from going really, everything's going really well to really not. Um, and so even though we're pushing harder, so we, we started going back and forth and turned out she was a teacher. And so we were right at the end of the school year. And so um, she went from teaching when everything was going really well, she was up on her feet, moving around in a classroom. Uh, and then she wasn't working. It was summer. And so, and then she told me, yeah, I don't do much during the day. I'm, I'm so tired because you cut my food so much and I'm doing so much cardio. And so she was offsetting a bunch of that, you know, cardio we were adding in the food we were taking away. And I was like, okay, let's just add in a step minimum, you know? And, and so that was the first time I ever added one in. And once we added it in to try to get her back to her, you know, previous activity level, like she started losing too fast. We had to like make some adjustments to go the other direction. Um, and so I started using it with clients because I was like, you know, if you look at like the data on like neat, like non-exercise activity, people's neat goes down, especially when they're really lean. I mean, some of it's you twitch and fidget less, you can't do anything about, but some of it, you just move less. Like when you're stage lean, you don't move as much. You find, try to find, you know, you right. feel tired. Everyone, anyone who's been there knows exactly what I'm talking about. And so you just don't move. And so, um, you know, I think, I think just having that step minimum, it's amazing. Like I've worked with, I've worked with enough people and used it now. Um, who with people like their experienced competitors, they had, they had never used it 
Um, they never used it before. And then they used it working with me and they're like, man, I'm surprised I can get away with it, you know, more food than I thought, you know, just by simp- not even pushing it up, just making sure it stayed the same throughout prep, you know, can make a big difference. Yeah. It's, it, it's a, it's a cool way to measure. It's, it's still kind of, I hate to say new, but like a lot of prep coaches aren't doing it. So that's, that's kind of cool. Let's talk about rate of loss. So, um, you know, back in the day, there was the short preps, like we talked about in the prior episode. Um, some of us prefer longer preps. What do you generally prefer to, for your clients? Well, actually, you know what, let's go back to cardio. I have a question for you at the end of most preps. And I know this is a range of numbers, but on average, give me an idea of what most of your clients can generally fall into. And I know some of your clients listening are be like, Hey, asshole, you had me doing more than that. But <laughs> listen, just on average, I can say myself probably 30 minutes a day, a steady state five days a week and a couple days of hit seven to 10 intervals. That's usually yeah. the max. Um, so I do have people that go above and I have people that go below, but I would say that's kind of an average. Can do you, can you give me that off the top of your head? Uh, I can, yeah. So if I would say like clients who are dieting for shows right now, um, I can say that, you know, on one end of the spectrum, I, there are outliers, you know, so these are going to be outliers, right? Like most people are going to fall between them. Um, so on one end of the spectrum, I have someone who never got above 9,000 steps a day, no additional cardio beyond that, and is absolutely peeled. Um, that's not a very high step count, like 9,000, that, that's not much. Uh, and so, um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, I have uh, someone who is doing 12,000 steps a day, doing 45 minutes of cardio six days a week beyond that. Um, you know, beyond, so 12,000 plus 45 minutes on top of that. Right. Um, and most people are somewhere in between those two. Like those are, those are your extremes, you know? So like most people, maybe it's, you know, two to four sessions of cardio, 12, 13,000 steps, you know what I mean? Something like that. Um, those two to four sessions, some combination of hit and miss, um, you know, and that, so that, that, you know, um, one thing I find is when you use those step counts, like you're getting more lists essentially with that. So it takes away the amount of hit and miss someone's doing, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of the range, you know, I probably would say most people end up in, um, most people have to do something, right. You can't just sit around all day and get super lean. Um, you know, the, the, the 9,000 steps a day with a pretty high food count and, you know, fairly high calorie count, I mean, um, and getting absolutely peeled is, is definitely an outlier. Yeah, I agree for sure. I had a guy this, this past weekend, he swept the show, uh, one is pro card as well in Stillwater, Oklahoma at the NAMBF Cowboy Classic. And he hired me August 3rd. I remember this specifically. <laughs> Two days later, he snapped his patella tendon and it ruptured and came off the bone. And he had just hired me. Now, I had to prep him with zero card. He did some battle ropes. He was Ooh. able to stand on one leg and do some battle ropes. So yeah. he did a little bit of hit, but it's still not going to be the same battle ropes as like if you're healthy. Uh, he got peeled. Now, he's an outlier, but he only had about eight pounds to lose. So yeah. we, were, we were able to do that over the course of 10, 12 weeks. So that's an outlier. You know, I would say most people, 95% of my clients are going to do some form of cardio. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if you're not, I mean, I talked to someone, I talked to someone yesterday who had like an Achilles injury during prep and, and they were saying, you know, they were down to 30 grams of carbs, most of which was fiber by the end of prep because they couldn't move like really. So yeah. it, uh, um, you know, they couldn't move like they, they wanted to, even like during daily life, they were just super, you know, they were recovering from an injury. They were super sedentary. And, um, depending what the injury is, may, it may or may not be a great idea to be dieting through a, sh- you know, for a show through it. But, 
but you know, they, they did. And, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think if you're not moving, you, yeah, you definitely, your food's going to end up probably really, really, really low. Yeah. Let, let's talk about rate of loss. This is something that Jason and I have talked a little bit about on the show. This is something that's definitely different for assisted versus natural yes. athletes. Let's, let's talk about from the natural side of things. Um, what's the rate of loss that you like to look at if we can put it into kind of a pounds per week average yeah. for most clients? You know, half a percent to a percent a week is kind of the range that, you know, the research typically gives. And I, and I would even argue if you can get closer to that half a percent side, it's probably better, especially when you get super lean. You don't want to be losing, you know, three pounds a week when you're two weeks out from a show and really, really lean. Um, you know, I would say for most men, you know, pound, pound and a half, maybe if they're a bigger guy, two pounds, you know, a week. Um, for women, maybe, you know, three quarters of a pound, pound, maybe pound and a quarter, you know, maybe for a, a really muscular woman or maybe early in prep, maybe a pound and a half. Um, Cause you can get away with a little bit more. If you're going to get away with a little bit more of the time to do it's earlier on, not at the end. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, cause you're way more susceptible to muscle loss at the end of prep than you are 25 pounds over stage weight when food's still high and you just started dieting. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize too, um, you know, the higher your body fat is, the less likely you are to lose muscle. I mean, mm -hmm. when you're super, super lean towards the end of prep, you don't have a lot of fat to use for fuel. You're going to tap mm -hmm. into some muscle. Your, yeah. your food's low. Cortisol is very high. Testosterone's lower. Like all these things are happening. But if you're like my fat ass right now, mm -hmm. listen, I can, I can eat 1600 calories a day and do kind of a rapid fat loss for two yeah. or three weeks. I'm not going to lose shit. Well, no. And, and I mean, that's why, like, if you mini cut in the off season, you can cut quicker and get it over with than what you can during prep. Um, but no, I, I think too, um, you know, when it comes to rate of loss, I think a lot of people go about it almost backwards. You know, they start a prep and they're like, oh, I got, you know, I don't know, 15 weeks to lose 15 pounds. And then, so they're losing at a pound a week and then they, they hit, you know, a couple plateaus along the way. And now all of a sudden they find themselves eight weeks out with 10 weeks, you know, 10 pounds to lose. And now it's like, okay, well now I have to lose a little over a pound a week. And then they find themselves maybe at four weeks out with like eight pounds to lose. And now I got to lose two pounds a week. And so like, they're going at like their rate of loss is getting faster and faster throughout prep when it probably should be the opposite. If anything, you know, like you shouldn't be seeing those fastest rates of loss at the very end. Yeah. And especially when you're more, like you said, you're more susceptible to muscle loss. So if you're having to be more extreme towards the end and yeah. muscle loss, more susceptible, man, that's scary. So let me ask you a question. How do you set your clients up on length of prep? How do you know if you're going to work with me right now and I'm 30 pounds over stage, how, how do you typically start somebody and know how long to prep them? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on if the person can be flexible on shows or not. Um, because if someone can be flexible on shows, that is like the ideal situation because you can say, okay, well, you have about 30 pounds to lose. You know, if we drop that at about a pound and a half a week, maybe that's 20 weeks. If we're dropping about a pound a week, that's 30. Maybe if it's a little slow, it's like 35. You know, if we had some stalls along the way, life comes up, whatever. Right. Okay. So we're looking at like four to seven months from now, you're going to be ready. And if someone can be flexible with shows and we can look at like, and find shows like four five, six, seven months away and say, okay, we'll pick the specific one when you get closer. Like that's an ideal, that's like the ideal thing like you can do because you can just kind of let the prep happen. You know what I mean? The, however, it's going to happen, um, you know, and, and maybe it, it goes really well and they hop in some of those earlier shows. Maybe you need the extra time, um, especially with a first time competitor. Oftentimes you need the extra time. 
Um, and then, or maybe you fall somewhere in the middle, but I, I like having options like that, you know, picking shows based on when someone's ready rather than, you know, having to force it. Um, if you have to set, go aim for a specific show date, I always tell people start early. Like if you can give yourself more weeks to diet than you have pounds to lose as a natural, that's not a, you know, like that, that's a good rule of thumb. If there's like a drop dead date, you have to be ready for, because it's so much easier to slow things down and, you know, slow your rate of loss or take a diet break, eat at maintenance for a week or two or, or whatever, you know, you're ahead of the game. Let's just eat at maintenance for a couple of weeks. Um, so much easier to do that than it is to like, you know, be losing that two, three pounds a week, you know, those last few weeks of prep. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's one of those things to where I try and have my clients in a perfect world scenario. If I can have them ready a few weeks early, yep. actually I can back all their cardio out, yep. slowly start to feed them into the show. Yep. Their feet doesn't look as tired. It starts to pop. Cortisol is lower. Like all these, you know, I, they're not magical, but it looks magical when yeah. yeah, they're Yeah. And, and you can also box. test out some peaking stuff too. Like if you're, you know, if you have someone, you know, a lot of times if you have someone who you find like needs a lot of carbs to fill out, like they might need a large load. They might have to load over multiple days or they, you know, maybe a large load in one day. And, you know, if, if, if you're not, you know, that's, it's not a bad thing to test that out ahead of time, you know, instead of going in blind. And, you know, if, if you have to go in blind, you know, a lot of times that's where I start asking clients if that have competed before, like, what have you done in the past that's worked? What's not worked? Right. Um, I, I think getting just in general, getting that type of feedback from clients, you know, who have competed before is generally good because you can kind of merge what they do and what they've done successfully with what kind of you think probably should work. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think being ready early is, is, is important, you know, in, in an ideal world. So yeah, that's where giving yourself more weeks to diet than pounds to lose. Hopefully you end up in a spot where it's three, four weeks out and you're ready. You know, and then you reverse in. That's that's great. That's like ideal. Yeah. And and from the assisted side, you know, I know there's people listening right now. They're like, fuck, I am not dieting for four to seven months. Um, But if you think about it in this this fashion, because obviously they can be more aggressive. They can add in cutting agents, Clen, T3, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Cortisol is going to stay lower. Their test is going to stay higher. Like all these things happen. Um, But the thing is, is, you know, rate of loss is something that translates to muscle loss. And even if you're assisted, if you have quite a bit to lose, if you have 30 pounds to lose and you try and do it in 10 to 12 weeks, you're looking at, you know, two and a half, three pounds a week. I don't care if you're assisted. I don't care how much help you have. Why not just extend your prep out to 18 weeks? You know what I mean? Just diet a little bit longer, be flexible. But what, what I see that translate to, as you kind of alluded to this, I believe it was in our last episode, you can keep their calories higher. Yeah. Right. So, you know, people are like, I don't want to diet that long. Well, I'm like, but you, you can diet on higher calories if you do it this way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Higher calories, less cardio. Your workouts are probably going to be better. You're going to, you know, like you're going to recover from them probably better. Yeah. So if, if, if you're an athlete, a lot of people are thinking about it from the food restriction standpoint, and a lot of that's mental. But if you're a serious athlete, look at it from which is going to be better for your physique. And I would, dude, I would bet every single time a longer prep a longer slower prep is always going to help someone look better assisted or natural doesn't matter i mean would would you agree with that yeah in general yeah i mean i i I mean i've worked with i haven't worked with as many assisted guys as you have but the ones i have i mean we we've done slower preps and they they i i usually get that's usually common i get wow i i didn't you know i've never held on to this kind of muscle you know before during a prep because i tried to do it in 10 weeks or 14 weeks or whatever um, you know, time period they had done in the past. Yeah. I, you know, I, I do it with all my natties, but even whenever it translates over to my assisted folks, 
you still get all these benefits plus more because you're assisted. So it just, to me, just, it is hard for me to get away from a little bit longer preps. Let's talk about some important things to be aware of. Um, Obviously when someone diets, we know testosterone goes down. Um, Some of these other markers that you talked about in your presentation that you gave back in 2015, we alluded to in the last podcast was insulin goes down and that makes sense, right? I mean, if someone's, eating carbs and their carbs are slowly getting whittled, you know, whittled down. Um, insulin's going to be a little bit lower in their body, but also people don't realize, and I, that's, I give this class all the time, insulin sensitivity changes. Yeah. Yeah. As you get leaner, insulin sensitivity changes, but as you eat less carbs, you give the insulin receptor a break. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense that insulin's going to go down, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, weight loss is one of the best. I mean, you look at just from an overall health standpoint, you have someone who's borderline diabetic, losing weight is one of the best things they can do you know, to, to decrease their chance of developing diabetes. Yeah. Uh, some other things that you noticed was, um, thyroid hormone goes down. We can, we can pretty much say that's safe, that's safe bet that your metabolism's going to slow, yeah. right? There's no way to get away from that. Right? No, no. I mean, there's so many reasons why too, you know, some, some of us thyroid goes down. So that slows your basal metabolic rate. Some you're, I mean, you're eating less food. So like when thermic effect of food is, you know, 10% of calories being consumed, well, if calories being consumed are lower, your thermic effect of food's going down, you know, your needs going down, you're not moving as much. Um, when you do move, you're not, it's not, uh, you're not moving as much weight, right? If you're 20 pounds lighter and you go walk for a mile, like you're going to burn fewer calories than when you were 20 pounds heavier. And, and so there's all these reasons why, yeah, that you're burning fewer calories, um, you know, per day than, than you would be at the start of prep. Yeah. And, and another thing paired up with that, that I have here in my notes too, is cortisol goes up, right? Yeah. So whenever cortisol goes up, you do secrete less thyroid hormone as well. And something else I like to point out to people, especially natural folks, as you lose weight and especially as you lose muscle, you have to secrete less thyroid hormone because if you didn't, as you got late, if you, as you got lighter, your actual metab- your body temperature would rise and your body is not going to let that happen. So it's actually a natural adaptation. Oh, man, we need to, somebody needs to come out with a supplement, right? That just keeps your metabolic rate just humming along, but yeah. um, it's just not going to happen. And that's where, you know, on the assisted diet side, people can control that. They can take T3 or T4 and things of that nature. Um, you know, if Jason was here, he could comment more on that, but you know, that's why we see a lot of people able to prep all the time. They do the Arnold, they do the Olympia all spread out throughout the year, but they're really kind of running their hormones in their body, um, by, by taking what they need. So natural, you don't, you don't see a natural competing over and over and over and over again. Usually that's usually something bad happens after that. And usually they start looking worse and then all of a sudden they can't get lean anymore without extremes. And then they start having other medical issues and it just goes downhill. Yeah, just this hormonal dysfunction shit show um, that that we see, and you know, you know, these days Jason and I are looking at labs, and a lot of coaches are starting to look at labs to kind of pinpoint this stuff. Uh, let's talk about a couple of fun hormones. Let's talk about uh, I to me, I call them kind of the brother and sister hormones of ghrelin and leptin. I've talked about leptin numerous times on the show. I'll explain that, and if you don't mind explaining explaining ghrelin. But yeah. leptin is this hormone that's produced primarily in the fat cells, you know, not all the way, but primarily in fat cells. It, it sends a signal to your brain that says, hey, you're full after you eat, right? And it also helps promote your metabolism and metabolic rate, stuff like that. But as you get leaner and you get less fat, you know, your fat cells shrink, you produce less leptin. So when you eat, you don't get that signal to your brain that says, hey, you're full. So you're always fucking hungry. That's why when you get stage lean, 
you know it because you're starving yeah. right after you eat. And that's kind of how leptin works. But there's a sister hormone called ghrelin. So can you kind of explain to our, our, our listeners what that is? Yeah, so it's ba- ghrelin is basically the exact, pretty much the opposite of leptin, right? So, so ghrelin goes up when, uh, you know, goes up and it makes you feel hungry. And so, it go, you know, you see increases during prep and it gets really, really high. So you, you see a reduction in a hormone that makes you feel full and an increase in a hormone that makes you feel hungry. And the end result is you're super hungry. Um, and typically it's, it's the weirdest feeling. Like I, I try to explain this to people, but until you've been there, you just don't understand. Like when you're stage lean, you can eat to the point that you are physically full. Like you have stomach distension, like the amount of volume in your stomach is incredibly high and your stomach is stretched and you know, you're full and to the point of discomfort, but your hunger, hunger hormones are still so screwed up that you still want to keep eating like that drive to eat is still there like it it is the craziest thing um and it's but you know i I think most people who have been stage lean can relate to that and it's it's uh it's crazy like you just can't explain it to someone until they've been there and i mean if you know what it is you're not surprised by it but i think it, it can catch people off guard yeah and you know i've noticed too like if i've reversed someone and kept them super super lean like really lean that damn feeling doesn't go away. And that no. just shows how powerful that these hormones are tied to your body fat levels as yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, once you gain some body fat back, you start to feel, you know, a lot of things get better. And so um, that's where like, a, you know, coming out of a show, I'm, I'm usually trying to push, you know, for like a male, natural male, if you can push like one to two pounds a week of gain for the first six, eight, you know, 10 weeks, whatever it takes for them to get back, you know, 10, 15 over, you know, and so they can start to feel, um, feel more normal again, you know, and, and start to feel better. Um, then I slow rate again from there. You don't need to keep gaining that fast, but, right. uh, but initially, yeah, I trying to get some of that weight back on a person, um, I, I think is important because it, it, a lot of this stuff goes back to normal once you get that weight back. Yeah. Some other uh, notable changes that I pulled out of your presentation, the PowerPoint that you sent me, um, blood pressure usually improves and resting heart rate goes down. Um, yeah. Did you ever measure your resting heart rate during prep? I know, I know yep. uh, Leslie used to measure hers and dude, she would be down in like, like the high forties. If I remember right, like yeah. 50. Yeah. If I remember right, I think mine started like around 70 at the end of prep. And I think, think I was down close to, I think I got down to 50, if not high forties, um, you know, by the end, the end of prep. Um, I, if I remember right, Chris Foss had, had a reading under 40 for a resting heart rate. Um, I, if I remember right, they told us when they were doing his case study, cause we were doing our case study at the same time they were. And if I remember right, they, they called in, um, and, and asked like, cause they were getting an error on the, the heart rate monitor and, and, uh, the, the company who made the heart rate monitor, um, said something along the lines of like, they, the monitor was supposed to be designed to read physiological range of heart rates, which was 40 up to whatever. And he was getting under what they considered a physiological wow. heart rate. You, you know, his heart rate was so low, but yeah, I mean, heart rate, blood pressure, you see blood pressure go down with weight loss. That's pretty normal too. Um, I think it's like a, you see, even in someone who's like obese, I think it's like a 10% weight loss and you see a pretty significant drop in blood pressure just from that. Um, you know, so they could still be obese, but just like the, just losing weight and having less tissue to pump um, blood through, you see a pretty significant drop in, in body and in blood pressure also. Yeah. I, I don't have this written down here in the show notes, but I do want to kind of throw it out to you. We'll kind of cover the natural side of, of the sport real quick. 
what's, what's a general recommendation? And I know it's hard to give general recommendations because everybody's so different. But if, if, if you have someone that competes hard this year, maybe they did three shows from August, September, and, and they're done, right? They did three shows in an eight-week span. Typically for a female, how much time off do you like to see them take before they be, – not, not if they need to make big improvements, just from letting their body recover and you feel comfortable dieting them again. How much time off do you like to see for females and how much do you like to see for guys? Yeah, I mean, I would say my general rule of thumb is I don't like to have people go into a deficit, even for a mini cut or any sort of cut for at least six months after a show, if I can, assuming they got to stage lean. Um, you know, I, at least six months out of a deficit, preferably longer, you know, but, but if you look at the case studies, usually if the person gains weight back and, um, you know, like the case studies of natural competitors, if they gain weight back and their food's high and their cardio is low by six months or so, most things have come back to normal. Um, and so that, that's kind of like my, you know, roughly like what I aim for. Obviously if they need to make improvements more, more time, like that's, but, you know, and, and as far as length from show to show, generally, I don't like to see clients compete. You know, if someone's competing this fall, I wouldn't want to see them compete before next fall. Um, you know, but that would be under, you know, I would be clear with them, like, that's just to get you back on stage. That probably isn't to see any progress. Right. Um, you know, like, if you want to see progress, we're probably looking at two, three years, you know. Um, and I think it's also important, you know, when you're working with a female, competitor, if, you know, assuming she's young enough, has a normal cycle going into prep. Um, I don't prep them again until we've had a normal cycle for a while. Um, and so that might mean that like, Hey, it took a while for my cycle to come back. And now we're going to sit here for a while before we diet you down again. Um, and so it might end up being a longer off season because it has to be for that person. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it also depends. I kind of got at this earlier too. You know, I said, you know, when they gain weight back, things kind of normalize in six months. But if, if someone's not gaining weight back and they're really struggling, like, you know, that's a cycle on the psychological side, you know, maybe to gain, add weight back, you know, that's going to be a longer off season too, because it's going to be longer before they get back to a place where they can diet again. Um, but yeah, so that would be my thought is, is I'd like to at least six months before we do any sort of deficit again, I, you know, if at all possible, because you've just spent how much time in a deficit. And I mean, ideally, one, one general rule of thumb I have, just if you look at someone's entire competitive career would be if you can spend more time out of a deficit than in one, it probably, things probably go better. You know, like when you, when it's time to diet, like you can it, usually respond like you expect, you know, like if you can just not be in a deficit all the time. Yeah, I agree. And that's one of the reasons why, man, I really look at labs now for my clients and I look at testosterone levels to see when they kind of come back up. And on average, what I see, and I was just having this conversation with a, with a couple clients of mine, actually one male, one female last week, they're about four months post-show and they went ahead and had their labs done and their testosterone is still kind of low. Um, it's on the lower end of normal. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's, that's, that's what I'd expect at that point, like three, four right. months after is most of the way back, but not all the way back. Yeah. yeah. Usually about six months, I see where it's going to be and where it's going to stay just on, yep. at a normal level. And what I try to explain to them is, is if they're still at the bottom end of normal though, the issue there becomes if you're going to turn, so if someone's going to diet now for the fall and six months from now, their testosterone is just at the bottom end of normal. They're going to turn around and diet again for a show in the fall. Their testosterone hasn't been up enough for them to make progress. So it's yeah. just finally come back up after six months. You're going to turn around and diet and actually crush testosterone again. What I see happening with a lot of people is they do that 
for too many years and they get to the point where they need HRT because their levels stay below normal. So a lot of people, if they'll just, if they'll just take a look at their test levels and make sure that they're at a normal range, then they know that they're okay to diet. But it also tells them if they've been even making progress because I mean, you can feel like you're making progress, but when you've got body fat on you and you look a certain way, it's really hard to tell. But if your test levels just aren't high enough, you can probably bet you're not making a ton of progress, especially if you're a female. Um, so that I kind of use that to dictate how long to take off. And that's, you know, that's something I've really learned a lot about over the last three years. That's kind of been a game changer for me. Um, other things to kind of talk about it, Let's talk about advice for new, for new people. Um, I put down here to get an experienced coach. If it's your first time out, um, somebody with a background in taking care of clients and their health. I think getting a coach is more common these days than it was back when we kind of got into the sport. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember, you know, I, I worked with, so most of the time when I've gotten into the sport, you might've had a coach or you might've had someone helping you, but it was whoever was kind of at your gym that like had competed before. Um, and so, it, you know, if so some people, you know, were at gyms with people who knew, were actually better coaches than others, you know, but it was kind of whoever competed at your gym. That's kind of who you listened to for advice, you know, back what 16, 18 years ago when I was getting into this. Um, but yeah, now everyone has a coach. When I, uh, 2006, I worked with Lane for the first time and, and for my prep for that year. And I mean, online coaching was almost unheard of at that point. And now it's, it's huge. I mean, almost everyone has a coach and I mean, none of my clients live in the same city I live in. I don't have really any local clients. Like it's, it's crazy, you know? Um, but I, I coach full time, like it, you know, it, it's changed a lot. So yeah, getting a coach is, is I think one thing I would say, um, and then, you know, can, and then just learning as much as you can and, and really taking your time, you know, and not rushing, I think is key also. Yeah. You know, I had Lane on a podcast that I did back when I was with first form, it's called the TNT podcast. Yeah. It's not, it's not there anymore. They took it down, but we did some really good episodes. Um, and I had him on the show and I remember taking him to the airport and it was, this was 2016. I said, Hey man, I, I just want to tell you, thank you. Cause Lane and I are friends. We've, we've done stuff together. He's been a part of the comp, the physique summit. I said, I just want to tell you, thank you personally, because it was guys like you and Dr. Joe that really kind of made online coaching what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, other people have come on, you know, since, since then, but they kind of really figured it out. So to yeah. speak, Chad Nichols and other guys had to do this through email. So I like to give a lot of those guys credit anytime because, you know, I'm sitting here because, you know, I worked with Lane too back in the day. Yeah. It were guys like that that kind of paved the way. Um, but these days there's so many coaches out there. People really need to do their homework. Yes. You really need to ask a lot of questions when you send emails because just because someone's cranking out good clients and good, good results doesn't mean that they're doing things the way that you want them to do them. Because I see that all the time. People have genetically elite athletes and they only post those athletes. <laughs> and what you don't see behind the scenes is you see a lot of people with average genetics or hormone dysfunction or a dieting history. They're not even making it to the stage or they're not getting results. Well, of course they're not going to post those people. <laughs> so you really, really need to do your research. Um, it's kind of a scary time these days, man, because anybody, anybody's a coach out there. Yeah. I mean, I think a couple of things I would recommend would be um, when it comes to finding a coach, one, how fast do they get back to you? Like, obviously if you email them at like 11 PM on a Saturday night, yeah, it might take them a little longer to get back to you. But um, you know, if you, you know, if you're emailing them and it's taking them two weeks to get back to your inquiry, like 
is that someone you really want to work with? Like you, you, you want someone who's going to get back to you and answer your questions. And, and, um, and, and so I think that's something important. I also think, look at like, there are a lot of everybody and their brother has like, and in their Instagram profile, like that they're a coach. Right. But like, if you look at a lot of their profiles, like it's all pictures of them, like where are right. their clients, you know? And so I think that's important to look at also is, is, you know, someone's got to have clients, like what do their clients look like? Um, and you know, and then even with that, like a lot of times that they're, you know, if someone's tagging their clients, you can reach out to their clients, you know, and, and be like, Hey, what's it, what was it like working with so-and-so? you know, and, and get their feedback. I mean, I've had people inquire with me who I've gotten them in touch with clients of mine because, you know, when they're on oh. the fence about things and, and that usually makes a difference, you know, when they can talk to someone who worked with me where I'm completely out of the conversation. Um, but I think those are important things also is, you know, what do their clients look like? How fast are they getting back to you? And actually just talking to some of their clients, I think is important as well. Yeah. Fucking Instagram coaches. You're going to make my old grumpy ass go off on a, <laughs> go off on a tangent, but I'm not going to, um, you know, I, I wrote down here just to make sure they educate yourself. Listen, listen to, you know, things like this podcast. There's other great podcasts out there. There's a lot of good coaches that put out good content. Just make sure you understand who you're listening to. I, I do want to take this time to let people know about your book. I talked about in the first episode, it's called bodybuilding, the, the complete contest preparation handbook. You and Cliff Wilson both co-authored that. Um, if, if you can't afford to hire a coach, that's the book. Like that's the book that you need to have. Um, it's really easy to read. I've read it. It's got, man, we, I know almost everybody that's featured in there. Like you guys did a really good job with helping not only understand how to prep, how to do the poses, which category to pick. Um, it's got colored pictures. Like this is a really, really good book. I'm going to link that in the show notes. So you guys can just click on it and order it right away. Um, yeah. And it's only, it's also only 20 bucks. So, <laughs> which is insane, right? Because it's literally this, I mean, this could literally be a, uh, a hand, not a handbook, a, uh, a book for a college. I mean, that's, yeah. you guys listed research in here, the whole nine yards. So it's, it's a really, really good book. Um, anything else, man, that, that you want to touch on that you think would kind of help people understand what their body goes through and anything that you feel like we left out here? No, I mean, I, I think just the biggest take home point, you know, would be to, you know, as far as, as successful prep is just taking your time. You know, I would, if I had to just, you know, like, you know, take your time, spend more time out of a deficit than in one, to spend the time building the muscle base before you compete, take more weeks to diet than pounds to lose, you know, like all these things that I, I say all the time that people are like, God, that sounds ridiculous, but like generally, things go better if you can just take your time. I mean, not just from like all the physiological standpoint, but a psychological standpoint also. I mean, it, just taking your time. I mean, it, if you're always dieting and always restricting, we talked, you know, in the first episode that, you know, that, that can end badly, you know, with the binging and, and things like that. And um, I think also if you're, if you're dieting, trying to diet really, really fast, you know, that that's not going to end well. And, and so just, you know, not rushing things and taking your time, you know, is often going to end, end better. And, you're going to be a lot less stressed along the way. Also, you know, during your prep, you're, you're not going to be as, I don't know, you're not going to be as stressed out if you can be more flexible and just take your time. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's something that you've said that's, that always kind of stuck with me. It makes a lot of sense. And it was from the first time you, you spoke at our physique summit in 2015, you said, um, make this your lifestyle. Don't make yes. your whole lifestyle revolve around bodybuilding. And I think if more people can actually literally just take their time, like you said, and enjoy the process, they won't burn out so much because man, I see people burn out a lot. 
Well, yeah. And I think too, a lot of times people who compete are incredibly have like an incredible work ethic, right? Like it's not easy to get stage lean. Um, But if you look at like a lot of the top guys in the sport, you look at like what they do for a career and they are incredibly successful at whatever they're doing outside the gym as well, because um, you know, not, nobody makes a living from being a natural pro bodybuilder. Right. So, you know, and so, um, but you just look at some of these top natural pros and like, they have that same, a lot of them have the same work ethic they use in their actual careers and they're incredibly accomplished at whatever else they're doing in life as well. You know, you use that work ethic, you know, it kind of carries over. Yeah, man, this has been a great episode. I do want to let our listeners know we are having a contest if you leave a review. So now that we're at the very end of the show, all I need you to do is hit pause Go back, leave a review. I'm going to be giving away a ton of Fat Muscle Project supplements that we have. We've got the new pumpkin protein. Hormone Optimizer is going to be back in stock. Actually, when this drops, it should be back in stock. Um, That has sold like crazy because everyone's lab work is coming back with increased testosterone. So it was made to work, but we're going to be giving a lot of that stuff away. But you guys have to leave a review and then just tag us and share it on your stories. And that's all. Tag me, tag Jason, tag Pete. But Pete, thanks for coming on, man. I've got all your information in the show notes for people to be able to check this out. You're taking clients right now. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This time of year, especially because there's quite a bit of turnover with people finishing up fall shows, looking to get started with spring. So yeah. Yeah. Do you work with Gen Pop clients as well? Yeah. About 20, 25% of my client base still is Gen Pop. So I do have a few. Okay. Yeah. So anybody can, if they just want to get a hold of you guys, click on the show notes. I'll have all his information there, the email, the website, the whole nine yards where you can buy the book. All right, man. It's a, it's been a great Sunday. I know you and I have been traveling all over the show, so I'm going to, I'm going to let you go for myself and Pete. We're out of here. Thanks guys.